0: You're listening to Torah classes with Rabbi Mendy Goldberg. This class is a recording from a live class. So, good afternoon, everybody. Yeah. Welcome back. Just give a second here. Okay, so as we continue into the Torah reading, we're in the book of Leviticus, and as you know, the book of Leviticus has another name as well, which is the book of, called Torah's Kohanim, the laws of the Kohanim, because if you go throughout the book of Leviticus, it's mainly laws that pertain to the Kohanim and what used to happen in the Holy Temple. So the book of Leviticus, last week we spoke about the laws of purity and impurity, that the Kohanim is the one that determines who becomes pure and impure, and this week we continue into the laws pertaining the holiest day of the year, the holiest person of the year, and the holiest place of the, in the universe, which is the Holy of Holies and the Holy Temple, the High Priest, and the day of Yom Kippur. A story is told about a 100 years ago. A boy and girl, a man and woman, were going on a date in New York, in Brooklyn, New York. And as the sun is going down, the fellow turns to his date and says, guess what? I'm sorry, but I didn't have mincha yet. The afternoon service. And the sun is going down, I got a daven. So he jumps out of the car, jumps to the side of the road, and he decides he's going to daven mincha. And that's what he does. The girl, his date, says, What? What kind of business is this? A guy, first of all, if you knew you are going on a date, plan before and you should have him before if it's so important to you. And in the middle of the date, to stand in the middle of the road, she said, this guy is not for me. He's too Tzaflaken. He's too all over the place. He doesn't care to dive in the middle of the road, especially going back hundred years ago. It wasn't something that was too normal. and Not that it was today. And <laughs> therefore, she called off the date and says, that's it. I'll find somebody else. At that moment... Though the boy was really offended, really hurt, but he made up his mind. And he says, not only am I going to make sure to daven better, not only am I going to make sure that I daven in time and in a minyan and in a place of a shul and everything else, but I'm going to give everybody else a place to daven as well. And he set up in Borough Park, they have something called the Minyan Factory, something That's called a, shom- the a Shomer Shabbos Shul a little Schneebel in Borough Park. It's called the Shem Shul, And you can go in any time of the day and you can find a cup of tea, a coffee with a, some mezunahs and have a little cake and a minion, probably Shach R'smincha, my review, name it, in any time of the day. Why? Because this guy said, not only am I going to be able to do better, but I want to make other people do better. Even more so when they say that when this woman passed away, so they wanted... He was, I guess, still friendly with the family, he asked if her funeral can go by this shul in Borough Park. And when they stopped by the shul in Borough Park, he got up and said, it's all because of you that this shul is flourishing. Wow. What did he do? He took a moment in life, which any person would have been sad, disappointed, despondent, and any other negative adjective that you want to put to it, and he took a moment And use that for reflection, but not only for reflection, but for a springboard to be able to create something new, something great because of it. Many times in life, we have those moments where all of a sudden we seem like, all of a sudden everything's about to go blank in front of us. The challenges are great, the issues are severe, and it doesn't look like we have anything to be able to take and to use and it looks like there's no way out. Not only that, let's even talk about in our own personal, not because of the outside elements, but our own personal behavior and reflection, the way we serve God. We think at times that the evil inclination really got a hold of us, Satan is really dominating, and is not allowing us to appreciate our connection, our relationship with God. And sometimes we have to be able to look deeper, remove that facade, remove that veneer, and look deeper than the layer and recognize that what we believe is the enemy is truly the greatest friend and the greatest gift that we can ever imagine. That that challenge, that test, that looks so hard and difficult to overcome is really the thing that's going to uplift us, make us great and bring us to who we truly are and bring out our greatest potential. But the question is to understand how, what, when, where, and how do we go about it? That's the challenge. So what we're going to do today is analyze, take one subject in the Torah, look at it from its simple interpretation, as we know that the Torah has in it four different elements, simple, numeric, esoteric, and explanatory way, and try to figure out something that's going to happen and what the Torah is telling us about. And one of the things that we talk about is a story, a very interesting story, that's discussed in this week's Torah reading. In this week's Torah reading we read about the holiest, as we mentioned, the holiest day of the year, Yom Kippur. And one of the things that happened during Yom Kippur service was, well, we're going to get to it in length, but we'll just mention it right now, which is that they would take a goat, send it to a mountain with an old man, and he would take that goat and throw it off the mountain Azazel. That's what the name of the mountain was, and throw it off the mountain of Azazel. Now, what is this mountain Azazel? Why are we taking a goat? sending it to that mountain, all of a sudden, where does the name Azazel get to be all so pronounced that on the holiest day of the year, we get to talk about this mountain, Azazel, that they're throwing uh, a goat off it, it becomes a whole issue, and this determines the fate of the Jewish people, if they've forgiven or not. So let's understand the story a little bit, let's go into the depth of the service of the high priest on the holy day of Yom Kippur, and try to understand what's happening here. So last week we wrote, spoke about the laws of purity and impurity, but two weeks ago, if you recall, on the day of the inauguration of Aaron and his sons, a tragic event happened. And that was that Aaron's sons, his eldest two sons, Nadav and Avihu, passed away suddenly. They were young boys, very great people, to the extent that Moses said that Nadav and Avihu were even greater than Moses and Aaron. And on the day of Aaron's inauguration as the high priest, his sons passed away. Where did they pass away? In the Holy of Holies. And that is because they went into the Holy of Holies in an unwarranted time, without permission. And because of that, they were taken out of the Holy of Holies while they died, and they were buried, and those two people eventually weren't even able to bring the, the Paschal offering at the time, the people that buried them. But that's the story. This week's Torah reading is a continuation of that time, and starts off saying, after the passing of the children of Aaron, God comes along and tells Aaron the following commandments. The laws pertaining the holy temple. The laws pertaining the, the, uh, the, the holy day of Yom Kippur. And what has to be done on this holiest day. <coughs> and as we read this Torah reading on Yom Kippur as well. We read about what the high priest actually did on Yom Kippur. But the very interesting thing. You keep on reading the Torah reading. And you read about what he did, the holiest day of Yom Kippur, you read about what he did, all the different sacrifices and how how dangerous it was for him to enter the holy temple and how holy he had to be and how pure he had to be and all the different semantics that went around with it. After we finish discussing about the holy holy of holies and what the high priest did, what's the next Torah reading? In the same exact Torah reading, we read about all the promiscuous behaviors that a person is forbidden. On the same exact, that means in today's Torah reading, Mos, first section talks about the day of the Holy of Holies, the second section talks about the forbidden relationships. On Yom Kippur, in the morning Torah reading, we read about the service of the Kohen Gadol, and in the afternoon Torah reading, we read about the forbidden relationships. Seemingly, these things look so diametrically opposite, so polar opposite. How is it that on the holiest day of the year, what are we reading about? a person's forbidden relationships, the promiscuous behavior that a person may be encountering. What does that have to do with the Holy of Holies? That it's in the exact same Torah reading, not only in the same Torah reading, but we even read it on Yom Kippur. So if we look at the actual work of the way the Torah reading is split up about the service of the Holy Holy Temple, so the Torah reading is split up into two parts. The first part is the regular day-to-day stuff that the Kohen Gadol would do bringing the sacrifices, the regular sacrifices that were brought, the cleaning of the menorah, all the other different ideas and events that would happen in the Holy Temple on a day-to-day practice. Then we come to the second part. And the second part is about the different transformation that the actual Kohen gadol would change its clothing five times, five times that day, from the gold clothing to white clothing. He would not wear gold clothing in the Holy of Holies because the whole reason why we have Yom Kippur is to atone for the sin of the golden calf. So the prosecutor should not be the defense attorney. So therefore he doesn't wear the golden clothing in the Holy of Holies. And every single time he changes clothing, he has to immerse himself in the mikveh and wash himself. So that's five times that he would change himself every single time when entering into the Holy of Holies. So the first thing that we find, which is pretty amazing, that if you read the entire book, this week's Torah reading, it doesn't mention what day all this was done. It actually says, this is a service that they would do, but it doesn't say what day. The word is Bezois. With this Aaron was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies. What day of the year was it? 23 verses later, that means almost a whole chapter later, the Torah tells us, oh, by the way, once a year, on Yom Kippur, wouldn't you think it makes sense? Start off saying, on Yom Kippur, especially Aaron's two sons just died because of it, only this, the only lot to go, and on that's the only day of the year. And here's a fascinating tidbit, which is that the only one that was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies at any time were two people Moses and Aaron. Moses, if you recall, we spoke about this a few weeks ago. Moses was the, was a the high priest for 7 days training Aaron how to behave and his sons what to do in the holy temple. And because Moses was training, he was never told by God to take off the garments of the of the high priest. Someone even suggested he wore those while he was in the holy in the, in the holy temple. But he was also allowed to be called. He was said he would speak by the tent of gathering. That means God called upon him many times to come talk to him. Where we was the tent of gathering? From the ark. That means Moses was able to go into the Holy Temple. And into the Holy of Holies at any time when God called him. Not any time when God called him. Aaron as well, in this week's Torah reading, someone to comment. And in fact, it's brought in the name of the Goen of Vilna, which says, Aaron was allowed to go into the Holy Temple. That means every other high priest. When would they be allowed to go into the Holy Temple and into the Holy of Holies? Only once a year. Achas Pashanah. Once a year. With this, Aaron can go in. That means Aaron, because he was on a state of holiness throughout the 40 years of the Jewish people to go in the desert, Aaron was a still level of holiness and he therefore he was able to go in at any time. Over here you see something unique about Aaron. That Aaron's quality and level of holiness as high priest was far superior than any high priest to come. And because of that, he was allowed to enter at any holy time. This is what some want to suggest. That why it only talks about once a year, only after saying all the, um, all the details, saying all the details of when a high priest is a lot to go and is only for every other high priest. Aaron, after he saw his two sons die because of walking into the Holy of Holies, felt, that's it, I'm not allowed to enter. Moses said, how can we get him to enter again? He's going to have PTSD from it. He's not going to be able to, this is a real trauma that he lived through seeing his children die because of going into the Holy of Holies. God said, no, he's allowed to go in any time. (laughs) Kohanim gedolim, high priest following, only once a year. So what we see over here is the uniqueness of this quality of walking into the Holy of Holies was something that was reserved for special people, special time, and special places. That was part of the events that happened on the day of Yom Kippur. But then there was another event which was also a monumental event that took place in the Mishkan, in the Tabernacle, then continued to take place in the First Temple and all the way through the Second Temple, which was as follows. A special lottery took place. There were two goats that were placed at the entrance of the Holy Temple. One goat was going to be designated to be brought onto the altar, which was called Lashem, to be given to God. And one goat was going to be placed to be taken to the mountain Azazel. What would happen? They would find an elderly fellow, who this elderly fellow would take this goat and this goat, the Torah says, would take him to the mountain of Dazazel. The Talmud expounds about what would happen. It was about a mile and a half from the actual temple and he would walk along the way. There was actually little booths that would have, supply him with water and with food. He was the only one that was allowed to eat actually because he had to make it to the mountain. And when he would get to the mountain, he would go to the top of the mountain, throw the goat down And before the goat even reached a third of the mountain down, it was already shredded into blood and broken and destroyed. It was a very pointy mountain. There was a string that was attached uh, from this goat all the way to the holy temple. And when that was a red string, and when that turned white, the Jewish people knew that they were forgiven. This goat being thrown off the mountain determined the forgiveness of the Jewish people. Now listen what's going on over here. We're taking a goat. First of all, there was a lottery that he had to do. There was in the holy temple, there was two two pieces. And the Kohen God would stick his hand into the box, take out those two pieces, place them on the goats. The goat that said Lashem would go on the altar. The other goat would go to the the place on the mountain to be sent. There was no difference between the two goats. They were exactly the same. One went on the altar, one was thrown down the mountain. What's going on over here? First of all, since when there's a goat that's brought, thrown down a mountain, forgive the Jewish people, we know that all sacrifices were brought in the Holy Temple. Over here we're talking about a sacrifice that's not brought in the temple, thrown down a mountain, and why a mountain Azazel? What's Azazel? What's so special about it? What's the mystery behind this Azazel? That because Azazel, therefore it's going to be thrown down the mountain. In Hebrew, I don't know if you know, there's an interesting tidbit in Hebrew, it's not the nicest compliment to tell somebody to go to the Azazel. They say there was a story going back in the, uh, 1927. There was, I'm sure you heard of the very famous Yiddish writer, Chaim Nachman Bialik. So Chaim Nachman Bialik was walking down the street in Tel Aviv talking to his publisher at the time <coughs> known as Yeshua Rabinitsky. And they're walking down the street in Tel Aviv and of course Bialik, what language do you think he was talking? Yiddish. He was talking Yiddish to his publisher. One of these hardhead head new Zionists, you know, were sitting, heard him talking Yiddish, and yells at him, Bialik, you should be speaking Hebrew! So Bialik turns to him and tells him, go to the Azazel. Who was the fellow? The fellow that he was talking to was a fellow by the name of Aaron Achmeini. Aaron Achmeini said... Look, at the Bialik went and defamed me in front in public, in the street. He told me, go to the Azazel. He brought him to court. So Bialik comes to court and says, what did I do wrong? Azazel's a mountain. I told him, go to Azazel and have a vacation there. Just because he interpreted in Hebrew as a curse word, that's my problem. And actually, Nachmeni had to pay 180 prutos, uh, you know, those days, for making a frivolous lawsuit. So <laughs> the... The concept was that in Israel, even today, it's considered a, uh, so to speak, a, put it this way, don't tell it to your husband, go to the Azazel. So that's the bottom line. Why, why, Why is it such a bad thing? What is Azazel? What's behind this Azazel? So the question over here, as we know, and especially talking about the sins that were given to the Jewish people and the sins that they had, why was it? And this and by the way, throughout the Holy Temple, the first temple they used to do it, and the first temple they were still able to see the stream would transform into white. By the second temple already the Jews weren't that meritorious. They even had a system that there was a flag, because in the Holy Temple he was not allowed to bring the next sacrifice on the holy temple until the one that was by the goat thrown down the mountain. So they had to wait for the one thrown down the mountain and only then bring the other goat on the sacrifice in the holy temple. So they had a flag system. There was one guy that would put up a flag by the mountain of Azazel. The next guy put up a flag, put up a flag, put up a flag like this. They knew in the holy temple that, there was a mountain, that it was already thrown down the mountain during the second temple era where there was already people making mischief and trying to confuse the work in the holy temple. So guys would put up false flags. So therefore they would have to have a messenger and it would take a little longer because the messenger would go, come back before the old guy made it, to be able to tell, let them know that the, the goat was thrown off the mountain and you can continue with the service. I mentioned before that it was an elderly fellow that would go and this is from this week's Torah reading. It says who would send through Ishiti, a person with his time limited and the reason is because generally the person who threw the goat down the mountain didn't live a long life afterwards, for whatever reason. So therefore they've definitely always picked an old man, who maybe that's why they don't live a long life, because he was an older man, but which we, I don't know, if they, you know, whichever one came first, but that was usually the way it was. But the question over here still remains, what is it that the reason that they sent this goat up onto the mountain? The Talmud says something very interesting. The Talmud says that the goat that was sent and that was thrown down the mountain forgave on every single sin in the Torah. The ones you know about and the ones you didn't know about. The ones, the positive commandments, the negative commandments. The ones that you were liable for any type of punishment. This goat throwing it down forgave on all the sins. That's one interpretation. Another interpretation is that the word Azazel, why does it have the name Azazel? And here's the fascinating part for the people named Uza and Azahel. And who are these people? We'll get to in a moment. Rashi comments, what does it mean, Uzzah and Azahel? That this forgave on all law, on all sins, especially on the sins of promiscuity, of forbidden relationships. Now think about this. You have a sin, a person we read about it in the book of Yikra, Leviticus. It tells us a sin, if you've missed out a positive commandment. Then there's a sin for a negative commandment. Then there's a sin for a commandment that you already paid up. There's all different types of sins and sacrifices that are brought for them. All of a sudden comes Yom Kippur, you have one goat, not even brought in the holy temple, thrown down a mountain, and forgives an old sins. It's like a, a, a clean pass. Where do you ever find such a thing in the Torah? That you have one goat, not in the holy temple and not even as a sacrifice but it's forgiving and every sin and even the most severe sins of forbidden relationships. So what's happening here? So first of all who are this Uzza and Uzzal that Rashi is talking about? That it says that that's why Azazel is named after. And there's a fascinating Medrish commentary that explains that this is the name of two angels. Who are these two angels? And during the time of the people of Noah when they were destruct when the world was being destroyed by human beings and God says, I messed up here, over here, so to speak. The human beings are destroying. We got to restart again. Let's wash the ground. Let's wash the world and start all over again. There were two angels that came along to God and said, God, you know what? Humans didn't work out. Why don't we try angels? So God sent down these two angels, Uzzah and Uzel. But guess what? What was the problem with the people at the time of the flood? Promiscuity. They came down, They were just as bad, if not worse. And they became the source of all promiscuity after the flood. They were stuck behind this mountain. They were stuck behind this mountain. The mountain of Azazel was where they were placed. And because of that, there's promiscuity in the world. What is Rashi saying? What does the goat of the Azazel do to forgive and to atone? These two individuals who cause promiscuity and forbidden relationships in this world, they're the ones that bring the temptation and all the problems because of them. And that's what this goat forgives for. It sounds a little uh, you know, a little you know, suspicious what's going on over here. But what is it all of a sudden? And not only that, if this mountain is the source of all problems, why then are we sending a goat there? The whole problem why the coin godler, for example, doesn't go into the Holy of Holies with golden clothing is because we don't want the prosecutor to be the defense attorney. What are we doing? We're taking the mountain that causes the problems. We're sending a goat there. Aren't they the problem to begin with? Why are we sending a goat there? Why are we making the prosecutor the defense attorney? And the Ebenezer tells something very, very mystical and very, um, very, uh, how do you call it, esoteric. And he says as follows. The Ebenezer was a Spanish great Sephardic rabbi, commentator on the Torah. And he uses this terminology, he says as this. I'll give you the secret why we send the goat to the Azazel. And the answer is, when you're 33, you'll find out. He leaves it, and that's his explanation. Nachmanides says, what's the Ebenezer talking about? I'll explain it to you. Nachmanides was a little bit later than the Ebenezer, very, actually almost the same era, explains what the Evanezer means. And he says, in fact, the Evanezer was telling you a secret, something which is from the secrets of the Torah, and I'll reveal that secret. And he says, if you read a little bit further, in the book of Leviticus, come to 33 verses after the commandment of taking the goat to the Azazel, will tell you, about, do not bring sacrifices to the demons, to the bad angels. What does this have to do? And it says as follows. He says, it says in the Midrash, one of the reasons why we bring a goat to the Mount of Azazel is because we're buying off the Satan, the prosecution. We're bribing the prosecution. Who's the one that wants the Jewish people to lose Yom Kippur? Yom Kippur is our day of judgment. So what do we do? Before we go into court, we tell the prosecution, we give him a few, uh, you know, we buy him off a little bit, stay out of trouble, get out of here, don't don't bother us too much. And being that Azazel is where the prosecution's hanging out, we bring him a goat, and we give him a little bribe, and say, here's your goat, please don't bother us, and let us be victorious on the day of Yom Kippur. That's what the Medrash says. So Yom Kippur comes out that why are we sending this goat is, so to speak, to buy off to Satan that he should stay out of our way. To be able that we should be victorious in judgment that when the coming God will walk into the holy of holies and when we're praying to God to forgive us in all our sins, we should get a clean slate. Well, what that got to do with what that does that have to do? Oh, because it was 33 verses later that it says it. So, the question still remains, since when do we need to have to deal even, is that our job to go start Buying off evil? Let the Satan rot in hell and that's it. What do we need him for? God will give us clemency. We will all walk out victorious. We will all walk out forgiven. Why do we even have to get into bed and deal with the Satan and deal with all this type of nonsense of evil? Are we trying to even let the prosecution think that he has a case by buying him off? The reason why you need to bribe the prosecution is because you need to have a case. If you, if you know that you're clean... You don't have to deal with the prosecution, you have to buy them off. The very fact that you're bribing the prosecution seemingly shows to say that you're giving them room to say, ah, they're guilty. So what's going on over here? What's this whole story of the goat going on, the azazel, what's happening over here? So let's take a step back and let's try to figure out what's happening here. So we're first going to look at the story of Yom Kippur, what happens here the concept of teshuva, and then we'll go back to the commentary of the Evanezor and Ahmadis. They say there used to be a fellow. He used to walk around and say demeaning comments to anybody he met. You met him, he had something bad to say to you. He, any person he met, and he would remind every person what they did wrong, what their weaknesses are, and everything else. You can count on him to find the fault on you. But one day, even him, realized that maybe I should repent. Maybe I should, you know, I'm doing something too wrong. And he started making, maybe he started getting older. I don't know what happened. He starts taking into account and he goes to the rabbi and says, Rabbi, Yom Kippur's coming. What can I do to correct the way of my behavior? So the rabbi told him, he says, outside, there's a big two by four, big piece of wood. Take 50 nails, bang them into the wood, then come back to me. Go, so, okay. Comes back to the rabbi, he says, I banged 50 nails into the piece of wood. He says, okay, now go to every person that you offended, ask them for forgiveness. And one by one, after you ask them for forgiveness, take out the nail from the wood. After you ask them for forgiveness, you'll take out until you finish the whole complete piece of wood. He finished the whole piece of wood, he comes back to the rabbi, he says, rabbi, here are all the nails, here's the wood. I ask forgiveness from everybody. So the rabbi says, that's wonderful, but I want to show you something. Look at the wood now. What's still there? Holes from all those nails that you banged in. He said, the same thing is also, that you may have asked for forgiveness. They have made forgiven you, but the damage is still there, not in them, but in you. You need to still repair yourself. You need to be able to become different. In a sin, when somebody does something wrong, there's two parts. There's the sin, and there's the sinner. The sin itself, or the sinner itself, is between him, the sinner himself, if you want to talk about, between him and God. And that you have, you have the Yom Kippur, which cleanses you maybe from the sin, from your relationship. But then what about what it did to you, what it created to you? you will never be the same. As King David says in the him the Khatosi negdi samid, my sins are always against me. The concept that a person, think about it, you know, even in today's day and world, unfortunately, addiction. A person has an addiction as long as they're clean. They can be clean for 20 years. But if they don't constantly work on themselves to be clean, one moment... And they can fall back into the addiction. One lapse, they can even go worse than they were before. That means in order for a person to clean themselves completely, in order for a person to really rectify himself, it's not just enough to be able to have the repentance. He also has to get it out of the system. The person himself has to be cleaned. This is when we talk about Yom Kippur. You have a Yom Kippur, there's the two goats. There's the goat that was brought in the sacrifice as a holy temple. That's the Lashem. The holy day of Yom Kippur itself atones a person for the sin. Gets rid of the sin. But what about the sinner? How does he change? How does he become different? So a Jew's coming on Yom Kippur. He wants to start from scratch. He wants to repair the relationship that he has with Almighty God. So the sin itself... He got rid of because Yom Kippur comes and automatically the day of Yom Kippur cleanses you from that sin. And therefore all of a sudden comes Yom Kippur, comes the second one. It's not only about the sinner, not only about the relationship that the sinner has with God, that God says, okay, you're forgiven. But that little spot that you need to get rid of forever, that little leftover's remnants, that's the goat that sent Azazel. The goat that senta azazel is the one that cleans the sin, not just the sinner. Is able to remove the individual and to be able to take the person and remove him from anything that any sin that he had. How is that? Because what does it do? The sin. What does this goat do? This goat is being sent away to a far off goat place. The concept of sending it away. Meaning is that you're taking it and removing it from yourself, that you disassociate yourself from something. Azazel is not just another place. Azazel is a place that you're saying, me and the sin have no longer a relationship. The sin is not associated with me. I take it and remove it myself. It's not in the holy temple where the person becomes forgiven. In the holy temple, it's the sinner and his relationship is repaired with God. But the sin itself for it to be eradicated has to be taken to a far out place. It has to be thrown into the trash and a trash that's really far. Maimonides p- t- discusses it in his Guide for the Perplexed. Maimonides tells us that because this goat that was sent away was there to be able to atone for the sins, the most stringent and harshest sins that a person may have done. Therefore in the holy temple there was no place for it. It had to go off to a far off mountain and over there it was completely cleaned. Why? A place where nobody lives, a place where nobody was there, because we need to throw it away and it cleans us, a person, and is able to show that now he can go back to his original state. He's far distant from all this type of behavior. That means this sin is no longer him anymore. Has nothing to do with him. He's not that type of individual anymore. The Maharal, the Rabbi Hudalei who is an unbelievable Kabbalistic scholar on his commentary as the Torah as well explains something even more, deeper from a Hasidic perspective. What this goat symbolizes, but takes even a step back, that when a person does an Aver, when a person does something wrong, he does not, even though at the moment he was doing something wrong, and he was the person that did something wrong, but what he is showing is that he is not the sin, and the sin is not him. That he separates himself. That the very fact that he did something wrong, that was not him to begin with. He was overtaken by some type of spirit, so to speak. As we would say in the Torah, the only reason why a person does something wrong is only because a spirit of folly comes into them to do something wrong. You, as an essential individual, wants to have a relationship with God. You essentially are a godly individual. The very fact that you did something wrong was because you were influenced, you were addicted, you were under the influence of something of nonsense that caused you to do something wrong. But really, you and the sin have nothing to do with each other. And how does he do that? Is by sending it far away. It's like a person, who, when he recognizes that something is bothering him, or when he recognizes that, for example, if you're standing, if you're sitting by a red light, and all of a sudden you have a voice saying, Go! Don't worry about it! Don't worry about it! What are you going to tell to that voice? What do you mean, don't worry about it? Another like, car is going to come and hit me. You recognize it's nonsense. But the problem is nobody does something wrong thinking, ah, I'm doing something wrong. There is no person that says, I'm going to do something wrong today. Every person that does something wrong has some type of legitimacy, not that only that they're going to get away with it, that they have a greater cause, they have a better reason, they're higher, they're greater, they have a reason why they can and are able to do it. What over here happens when we send away the goat, what we're saying is that really this sin is not who I am. I am an individual who wants to have a relationship with God. And it takes time. Because really, sins do become part of us. Sins do sometimes make us who we are. Deep down in some type of level, like we mentioned the concept of an addict. When we do something wrong, when we have some type of an addiction, we can try to stay away and prevent what will happen to us. But God forbid, if we're not strong enough, we can have a relapse. And it's not only an addiction. We all have our own addictions to different things that we do wrong, and we see ourselves when we relapse. It's not because we want to; it's because we haven't cleansed ourselves completely from it. The, just an inter- interesting anecdote. Just to, there was a fellow by the name of John Nash, one of the great mathematicians. He wrote. He won a Nobel Prize, a Nobel Prize in the, in finance, in the. And one of the things, in 1994, actually, I think, yeah, he won a, a Nobel, uh, Nobel Prize of uh, Finance. And when he was about 30 years old, he had schizophrenia. And his wife said that when he had schizophrenia, he would think about, like, the communists are coming, and they have these red bow ties, and they're going to attack him, and they're going to capture him, because since he's coming up with all these mathematical uh, equations and algorithms to be able to create a better uh, finance, and whatever it may be. And... Um, And in 2000, they put out like a video about his life. And in there, there's a scene, whether it's true or it's imaginable, but whatever the scene is, where he's walking out of getting his, um, you know, he's the height of his career, got the Nobel Prize. And as he walks out, he gets hit by this attack of schizophrenia, you know. He eventually went to a psychiatric ward and he was helped because of that. He was able 2000 to be able to win the prize. But in the scene, they talk about as he sees walking out, is in the height of his career, and all of a sudden he goes ballistic and he starts thinking that communism and running and chasing him all of a sudden. He wakes up and it's all a dream. What's the point of it? You can be at your height of your career, you can be at the height of in your life, but if you start getting convinced and persuaded by the nonsense. You can lose it all. How many people have we seen in the highest of offices and over a stupid temptation, many times was promiscuity or money, they lost it all. And if they would be able to go back in time, they would say, well, let me just throw out that convincing mind that told me, don't worry, I can get away with it. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm really allowed. It's consensual, whatever it may be. Why? Because sometimes we don't realize that we're suffering from schizophrenia, we're suffering from those voices talking to us and telling us we can get away with it, there's nothing wrong. And the moment in life that we realize that those are just voices of persuasion, that that's nonsense trying to be able to convince us to do something wrong, and we get control as healthy human beings over our thought, speech, and action, you're able to live an upright life. The Maral in his Shabbos Truva speech when he spoke, He said, The sin that a Jewish person has is not because of his essential soul. The quintessence of a Jew never wants to sin or do anything wrong. The quintessence of a Jew stays strong and committed to God. What is it only? It's the outside. It's the covering. It's the persuasion that thinks that he's going to be able to separate his essence from his body. And therefore... What do we say? Send away. Send it away to a distant place. Take that goat who is persuading you and promiscuous and send it away. Make sure you realize it's a differentiation. You're not the same person. Rabbi Yosef Dov Soloveitchik, Rabbi of Wayu, was actually a friend of the Rebbe, once explained and he said there's an interesting story. We spoke about this once before. Acher, the teacher of Rabbi Meir, was one of the great scholars, and then eventually left the way of Judaism. And he felt that there's no way for him to repent because he said, Everybody can return. And he quoted, Shuvu Bonim Shavavim, return my sons, oh, repent. And everybody, Chutz Me that Acher does not have the opportunity to repent. And the question is, how is it possible? How is it possible to say that Elisha Avuya the greatest scholar in the Mishnah, one of the great scholars in the Mishnah, teacher of her mayor, just because he went off the way, he should not have an opportunity to repent? So he explained as follows, and he says as follows. He says, "What does it mean? Shuvu banim shaveva. Every person can repent. Every single person is a son of Almighty God, and therefore they have the opportunity to repent and come close to God. Chutz. The word chutz means accept. Me acher. What does it mean? Acher. The other one. The other guy that's inside of you. Remember that you yourself are a son of Almighty." You have the opportunity to connect to God. But you're not the acher. You're not the other guy who you make yourself out to be. Like this guy that's doing everything wrong. That acher? Nah, he's not going to connect to God. You, your true essence is the son of God. You can always connect and nothing will stop you. So over here we have explained so far. Number one, what's the purpose of sending away the goat to a foreign mountain? is number one, sending it to someplace, but even more so, it's not where it's being sent to, but where it's sent from. That we're getting rid of it, we're getting it out of our system, and get it going. But the question is, why to the Azazel? Why does it have to be sent to the Azazel? Why in order to rid yourself from evil, do you have to go to Azazel? Why can't it be anywhere? Why specifically that mountain? Why specifically that place? And this takes us back to what we were talking about before, the commentary of the based on the commentary that Zemach explains it as follows. And he says, in order to get rid of evil, it's not good enough to just get rid of it and chase it out. That's not good enough. You have to do the opposite. You have to be able to take evil and transform it and utilize evil for good. That means... A Jew standing Yom Kippur. He's worried about what's going to be with his relationship with Almighty God. What does he do? He pushes out his evil and he sends it to Azazel. But what happens tomorrow? It's gonna come right back. So every day you're gonna be sending it to Azazel, you're gonna have a hard trip. What are you gonna do? Just like we mentioned before about the addict, if he's constantly fighting his addiction, one day he'll say, enough is enough. He's going to run out of goats. There you go. But how do you then overcome the evil inclination? How do you then overcome? How do you overcome the challenge to be able to not to fall prey to this evil inclination, to be able to allow you to make you run out of goats, run out of steam, run out of energy, of constantly sending it away, is to recognize and take the evil inclination and use the evil inclination as a tool to connect to God. What does that mean? The evil inclination is there to be able to help you get closer to God. How? As we know, it says that on the the sixth day of creation, it says God created good and he created very good. Good, the Talmud tells us, is the godly inclination. Very good is the evil inclination. Why? Because when we utilize the troubles in our life, the seemingly addictions or the seemingly negativity that comes into our life, and instead of chasing it away, utilizing it as a momentum, as a pedestal to be able to become stronger. And only how we don't have to fight anymore with the evil inclination, but we've anchored it, we've used it for our benefit. They say an interesting parable they give about this guy who is very easily angered. He has short temper. And he realized this problem. And he was like the wealthiest guy in town. But he was easily angered. If somebody didn't give him the right respect, that's it. You're doom and gloom. He realized this problem, so he came to the rabbi. And he asked the rabbi, what should I do? Anytime somebody tells me something, I get angry. So the rabbi says, okay, let me think about it. The next day, the rabbi calls him the gabai, And he says, this Shabbos, this fellow, the richest guy in town, don't give him an aliyah. Give him, not only you're not going to give him an aliyah, you're going to give him to wrap the Torah. The last thing you're going to give him, no shabarach, just to wrap the Torah, that even a kid can get, that's what you're going to give him. The Gabbai says, if I don't give him, he's the sponsor of the shul. If I don't give him, he's going to tomorrow, the electric's not being paid. The rabbi said, do what I told you. So the Gabbai doesn't know what to do. He wants to make sure the bills get paid. He doesn't want to get this guy angry, because we know he has a short fuse. And everybody in the shul knows he has a short fuse. So the rabbi thought of an idea. The rabbi never told me I'm not allowed to tell him. Let me let this guy know that he's not going to have it like this. If he's prepared for it, he won't get angry. So he goes over to the guy in the beginning of davening and he tells him, I just want to let you know, the rabbi put you on a show today. He put you up for a show today. So he says, okay. He doesn't know what that means, but he knows he put him up for a show. So it comes, the first aliyah, he doesn't get it, the second one, the third one, and everybody's looking around murmuring, uh-oh, we'll just wait for this fuse to blow, who knows what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And every as it goes on, finally he gets Galila, and he's called up to the Torah for Galila, and he gets it, and he doesn't make a sound. He gets it, he's quiet, and he walks off. Everybody's shocked, what's happening here? The rabbi calls him over the next day and he says, no, what happened? Why didn't you get upset? He says, I was told in advance that there was going to be a show, so I knew not to. So the rabbi told him, Life is a show. Everything's a show. You were able to overcome to know that there was a show. You'll be able to overcome all the issues of the shows as well. When we know in advance, when we prepare ourselves and recognize that this anger that's coming was all about it's a show. Then we know we're able to anchor it and utilize it for our benefit. The same idea is also when it comes to the evil inclination. We have to remember that the Satan, the evil inclination, we can bribe it. What does it mean we can bribe it? We can make it, use, utilize it for our benefit. It comes Yom Kippur. What does the Avon Ezra say? We're sending a sacrifice. We're sending it to the Satan. Why? Because we're utilizing the Satan. Not only is it no longer a prosecution but we're using it for our defense. This is what the Altarebbe explains to us in Tanya and the Geriz The the Altarebbe tells us that so great is teshuva that it can take wanton sins and make it into merits. Something that you purposely did wrong, God says you do teshuva. you can change the clock back and you're all doing okay. How is that possible? I don't have a time machine. Imagine if I can think about all the things that I said and I can rewind and take them back about the altar. Rabbi tells us, no, you know how great the shuvah is? It erases not only the present, not only the past, but it will erase anything that you have done and it can even make it. Not only does it erase it, but it can even make it into greatest merit. How is it possible? And this is because we're talking about the present. What you do now gives your past a whole new meaning. The way you react to the present situation tells me what the past was for you. That means, yes, we were challenged in the past. But what did you do about it? How do you react to it? When you react to the present in a different way, you automatically are changing the past. Take the story of Aaron. When he reacted to the passing of his sons, that gave him the ability that now he should be able to walk into the Holy of Holies. Because it was his reaction to the the present that changed the past. This is what the Torah is telling us. And this is what the purpose of this goat that you sent to the, goat, to the place of Azazel. The reason why we was sent to the place of Azazel, the place where permiscuity started, where Uzan and where all the promiscuity of the world, where the Satan rests, is because we're saying, we are going to take evil. Not only we're we not going to fight evil, but we're going to harness evil to, for our benefit. We're going to bribe the evil to make it work for us. Everything that we talk about has already a precedent where it happened before. And who is it? By Jacob, our forefather. When Jacob heard about Asaph, who after 34 years of not getting along with Asaph, he sent Asaph, what does he do? He tells Asaph he sends him messengers, he sends him gifts. But he hears Asaph's coming to get him with 400 men and 400 soldiers wanting to attack him. What does Yaakov say? I have options. I pray to God. I can fight him. But what's my first thing I'm going to do? I'll send them gifts. Why? Because once I send them gifts, I harness his energy, and then I have that as well. He harnesses Esau's energy, and he tells Esau, "What he's telling Esau is that you have the ability to help me get ready for Mashiach." And this is what also we see: this. What did Yaakov do when Esau comes? He bows to him seven times, calls him "my servant," calls himself "my servant," Esau, so to speak, subduing himself, Esau. Because again, he's trying to harness the energy, the strength of Esau to be able to motivate it that it should help him serve God. The Rebbe's father once explained, according to Kabbalah, this whole episode of Yaakov and Esau. And here you've got to use a calculator a little bit. The word Yitzchak is the numeric value of 208. For anybody that knows their math, two hundred eight uh, 26 times 8 equals 208. What's 26. God's name, Shema Vayet, times 8. That's the word Yitzchak. Yaakov is the numeric value 182. 7 times 26 is 182. So Yaakov had God's name 7 times. Yitzchak had God's name 8 times. You're following the math. So where does Yaakov's one extra time of God's name disappear to? He's missing one. He didn't get it all from his father. What happened? Everything that a father has, gives to his children. It's because Yaakov had the 7 times 26. Where was the other 26? Who was the other son of, ya- of Yitzchak? Esav. How did Esav have the other 26? So if you take Esav's name, it's the numerical value of 376. What's 376? 376 is, if the word tamay, which means impure, 7 times is equals 50. Seven fifty. The 7 times 50 equals 350. What's 376 minus 350 is? 26. So Asaf had seven times impure plus 126. Yaakov bowed seven times to Asaph, says, removes from him the seven levels of impurity. So what should he be left with? That 126, God's name, he should become impure. What Yaakov was doing, he was harnessing, he was trying to remove the impurity that Esav had, that now Esav also should become holy and pure. Unfortunately, he didn't finish his mission, and that will be completed when Mashiach comes. When Mashiach comes, it says, as we say it in our davening, the olum aishiim baratziim are Esav, that then even the people of Esav will come to identify and recognize the greatness of God. That harnessing of the energy of evil, getting rid of completely of the impure, showing that even with the of there's the 26th, there's the name of God, will come at the time of the coming of Mashiach. But that started from Yaakov bowing those seven times. That started from Yaakov recognizing evil, you don't need to fight. Evil you need to harness and utilize it for its benefit. The same idea is also in our own life. When we have an issue, whatever it may be, a difficulty, a challenge, or even an evil spirit within ourselves that causes us to do whatever it may be. Pick whichever one you want, whether it's laziness, haughtiness, whatever it may be. Instead of fighting it and subjugating it, utilize it for something good. Utilize it for something holy, and then it becomes, and then you can elevate it. There's a story told about a student of this, the Mittler Rebbe, and he uh, he was he used to he had an ex he was a beautiful orator he would be able to describe and explain words of Hasidus beautifully. But he also got an ego because of it. So he went to the Mitla Rebbe and he told the middle Rebbe, what should I do about it? What should I do? I'm getting ego, egotistic because of it. The middle Rebbe told him, You can become an onion. What's an onion? You eat it, it starts stinking. But you should continue to say the words of chasidis. Use that ego that you have to be able to continue to study Hasidism and teach it to people. If you'll be humbled and you'll be sad, you may not want to get up there in front of everybody and talk about it. Harness the ego, but use it for a positive thing. Same thing in our life. We need to harness the challenges that God gives us to utilize it to make us greater, better, and bigger.